0: lockbit exploit paper cut vulnerability in ransomware campaigns info stealer traded in the c2c market all ads are trying to get your money but some just take it cisa requests comment on software self-attestation form our guest is marcin klichinsky ceo of malwarebytes sharing thoughts on the current threat landscape and attacks on students and academic institutions Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen discussing themes from the RSAC tied into critical infrastructure resilience. Ukraine argues that cyber attacks against civilian infrastructure should be classified as war crimes. And are there any genuine disinterested hacktivists on Russia's side or are they all fronts? Cyberwire Boston Bureau. I'm Maria Varmazes with your Cyberwire summary for Friday, April 28, 2023. Microsoft tweeted Wednesday that they had attributed two campaigns exploiting vulnerabilities on papercut printers to Clop and Bitlock. The two vulnerabilities, CVE 2023, 27350 and CVE-2023-27351 were announced in an April 19th post by PaperCut. The company urged all admins to update their firmware with the latest patch to address them. Microsoft explained that they traced the infections back to a period before the vulnerabilities were discovered on April 13th. Microsoft said this, we're monitoring other attacks also exploiting these vulnerabilities, including intrusions leading to lockbit deployment. More threat actors could follow suit. It's critical for organizations to follow PaperCut's recommendation to upgrade applications and servers. Bleeping Computer, who's periodically in touch with the CLOP operators, reports that the CLOP ransomware operation confirmed to Bleeping Computer that they were behind the attacks on PaperCut servers, which they started exploiting on April 13th. In reply to our questions about the Lockbit attacks, Microsoft said they had nothing further to share. In any case, the standing advice is still sound, Look to your systems and apply patches in accordance with vendor instructions. Security Week reports that researchers at threat intelligence company Cyble have analyzed an info-stealing malware tracked as Atomic Mac OS Stealer, or AMOS for short. The malware incorporates an array of data theft capabilities. One of its authors claims on Telegram that AMOS can steal all passwords from the keychain, full system information, and files from the compromised computer. The malware has been offered to the criminal-to-criminal trade by subscription on Telegram for $1,000 a month. Amos is also allegedly capable of stealing passwords, cookies, crypto wallets, and payment information from a multitude of browsers. The malware is delivered as a DMG file, and when first executed, it displays a fake prompt to trick the victim into handing over the macOS system password. This is notable because Security Week highlights that while macOS-based malware may boast many capabilities, Getting it to run on the system can prove difficult. Their report goes on to say that a Trellix researcher noted an IP address in use by the malware that could potentially be linked to Raccoon Stealer, a malware used by threat actors in Ukraine and Russia. One weird trick to get people to click on that link. Tell them they'll be taken to the kind of saucy content we've curiously agreed to call adult Though in truth, it's really more accurately described as adolescent. Or so we hear, we never click ourselves. Anyhow, it's not news that threat actors use clickbait advertisements to infect users' computers with malware. As Guardio reports, however, the scale at which one threat actor has been conducting these campaigns is pretty noteworthy. One of those campaigns, linked to a Vietnamese threat actor, has been ongoing for months now, gaining more traction lately, using resilient deployment techniques, and is estimated to surpass... 500,000 infections worldwide so far. The campaign uses Facebook ads distributed from business accounts depicting free adult content, venerable clickbait, to get users to download a zip file of the alleged images. The images are actually executable files, and they take the user to a website while in the background, the stealer will silently deploy, execute, and gain persistency to periodically exfiltrate your session's cookies, accounts, crypto wallets, and more the threat actor uses commercially available hard disk manufacturers to avoid detection. Guardia reports that this campaign alone reached 500,000 deployments in three months. With the opportunity to effortlessly distribute millions of copies a day with the power of social networks' advertisement infrastructure, the damage that these threat actors can do in just a few hours without detection is overwhelming. So that ad that had your attention may immediately thereafter have your crypto wallet. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, yesterday released a request for comment on a drafted self-attestation form for federal government software providers. The Secure Software Development Attestation Common Form was a combined effort between CISA and the OMB, or the Office of Management and Budget, and is based on a National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, Secure Software Development Framework, or SSDF. Lots of acronyms there. Speaking of acronyms, the FCW explained on Tuesday that the form is intended for software vendors to prove that their products are secure to the standards of federal government customers, with the government's ultimate goal being to work towards securing the supply chain. This follows a 2021 executive order on improving cybersecurity throughout the United States and a later memo that same year from OMB requiring federal agencies to acquire self-attestation forms from vendors with a looming September deadline. Public comment on the form will be accepted through June 26, 2023 via a comment box on the regulations.gov website, so go take a look and let CISA know what you think. Speaking at RSAC this week, Ilya Vidyuk, Ukraine's head of the Department of Cyber Information Security in the Security Service of Ukraine, urged that cyber attacks against civilian infrastructure should be treated as war crimes. InfoSecurity Magazine quotes him as saying this, I do believe that military commanders that are in charge of special forces and special services, like the Russian GRU or SVR, who are responsible for cyber attacks on civilian infrastructure, should also be convicted as war criminals. Such attacks would presumably violate one or more of the principles that underlie the laws of armed conflict, proportionality, discrimination, and military necessity. Vidyuk also presented the case, the Cyberscoop reports, that there are no genuine hacktivists working in the interest of Russia. More than 90% of all cyber attacks targeting Ukraine are either conducted by special services or by state-sponsored groups, Vidyuk said. I do believe that there is no so-called hacktivism in Russia at all. Now, he described a brief wave of pre-war Russian arrests of cybercriminals as effectively an intimidation campaign— Work for the security organs or face the consequences. The arrests of some rival members in the weeks before the war were an example of that kind of strong-arm recruitment. Noting that the prosecutions had all stalled by May, Vidyuk added this, This was an attempt to intimidate them and others to show that you need to work for us, and now you need to work against Ukraine. Recruiting auxiliaries to work as fronts for Russian security and intelligence services would not have been particularly difficult The ties between the organs and the underworld have been close for a long time. And a final note on the most prominent Russian hacktivist auxiliary, Killnet. This week, the group announced that it would henceforth act as a private military hacking corporation, a kind of a Wagner group for cyberspace. It's just now announced, presumably for the benefit of prospective customers, that it would be unavailable for 72 hours while it reorganizes. We wonder if, like so many other corporate reorganizations, it will be accompanied by consultants, offsites, team-building exercises, and the like. So consider Kill Milk, which is the nom de hack of the guy in charge. Is this guy going to test as an ENTP on the Myers-Briggs? Or our money this guy tests out as a J-E-R-K? But that's just us. Lead by example, Mr. Milk. Coming up, our guest is Marcin Kliczynski, CEO of Malwarebytes, sharing thoughts on the current threat landscape and attacks on students and academic institutions. Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen, discussing themes from the conference tied into critical infrastructure resilience.
1: Marcin Klusinski is CEO at Malwarebytes. I caught up with him at the RSA conference for his insights on the threat landscape and the trade show itself. So here we are um, at RSA conference and um, I'm curious as we come into this year, as we're making our way around the show floor and meeting with all the different people we're meeting, what is your sense of where we stand? Like, where do we find ourselves at this moment? Well, every time I walk into RSA
2: every year, the stress level just feels like it's emanating from the from the room. So I feel like that's where we're at again uh, yeah. this year. Threats have gotten worse. You know, complexity's gotten worse. Uh, everything's gotten worse. And, um, you know, a lot of defenders in that room, and that's what we're proud of, uh, you know, being in that room.
1: Where are you all focused this year in terms of coming at the threat and taking your place in the community? Yeah, so Malwarebytes um, really
2: focused on... Uh, Really simplifying security for a lot of folks. Uh, a lot of SMBs, MSPs that are underwhelmed or overwhelmed, uh, underwater in terms of resourcing. We Malwarebytes just really want to give them the tools to be successful and, and be able to protect themselves
1: or um, or their customers. What are the stories that you're hearing from folks in terms of the specific pain points they're they're experiencing? Every year,
2: ransomware is just a common thread. Um, we're seeing smaller and smaller businesses, uh, education. Um, Hospitals continue to be, you know, affected by ransomware. And this is really causing real-life issues, right? We're, we're now talking about students' mental health being exposed online, um, patients' records being locked. Um, every year, it seems the stakes are getting, you know, uh, bigger. And um, this year does not fail to surprise
1: us again. Yeah. You know, we're seeing uh, economic headwinds, um, and that is finally sort of Hitting the folks in cyber, we've seen some layoffs, um, and of course, every year, folks have to submit their budgets to the the boards and the powers that be. Yep. Um, what are your insights on how people go about prioritizing that? The things that they present, the things they buy. Yeah. Well, security's
2: a necessity, right? It's a conversation in the boardroom, and um, you don't want to be the company in the news, or you know, more importantly, you don't want your data stolen, your business affected. But every year is a challenge to go get the budget that you need for people, for technology. And over the years, I've seen many tools, products that are marketed well, you know, booths at RSA, um, sure. but sit on the shelf. And I think you know, over the years, people continue to buy things, don't necessarily implement them. As we face economic headwinds, security will always be necessary, but not as much of it. I think using the tools that you're, um, in, your, in your arsenal effectively, more effectively, is really the name of the game.
1: Do you have recommendations for how people set those priorities for as they look at their security stack? You know, what do I keep? What do I? What am I making use of? What am I not? Or is that usually pretty self evident for folks? Uh,
2: well, both, right? I think there are some things where you just look at it, and we haven't really used this in a year, and yeah. it's not really delivering the value, or we can consolidate it with another vendor. Um, it's an exercise that you kind of have to go through every year to see what are we using, what is deployed, what could be deployed, what is implemented well, um, what can replace a person or better said, uh, fill a need where we, you know, we can't hire that person or can't find that person. Right. So I think it's an exercise every year to just, well, justify all the technology and, and, um, and things you've implemented, really.
1: In terms of longer-term trends, as you walk around the show floor here, where do you think we're going as you look towards the horizon? More marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's certainly the easy message to get here right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: there's yet another, you know, uh, buzzword somewhere on some on some booth that will be, you know, predominant next year. Um, look, I think... Security is really hard, and we as vendors make it even harder by throwing out all these marketing terms. And yeah. first, there's MDR. Now it's XDR. What's next? Right, EDR, and, and so on. Um, I do think as an industry, we need to get better around just simplifying security for our customers. And buzzwords and, and you know hand waving and all that. I, I just think that really creates a lot of confusion. It's one of my uh, pet peeves at RSA is walking around and just seeing some of the messaging, knowing what the product and the company do versus what is on the, yeah. you know, actual, um, actual banner and such. So, you know, my best advice to folks is always get a demo and really understand the value that this could provide. And are you solving a security need or did you get drawn in by
1: pretty good marketing messaging on the, on the, on the banners? <laughs> yeah. How about the, the human side of it as well? I mean, the folks who are making these decisions, running these, uh, products and, and implementing them every day, they're facing real stress. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that side of it and how we're um, attending to their emotional needs? Yeah, I'm I'm very empathetic because,
2: you know, I obviously am in security. I'm a CEO of a security company at the same time. Know that we have people that haven't worked in security their entire life. Accountants and, you know, uh, HR folks and so on. And so their needs are, you know as with every other company like you've got to protect them they don't know security we continue to fish them so i I am uh you know empathetic because i understand the problem set Mm -hmm. i also work with you know thousands of customers very small businesses up to kind of medium enterprises and every day is a challenge it's like well i have to do this all by myself because i don't have the staff and i don't have the money for the staff so like really every day we wake up it's like how do we make this simpler and i think the industry as a whole needs
1: to embrace that mentality that's Marcin Klaczynski, CEO at Malware Bytes. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Betsy Carmelite. She is a principal in cyber defense operations at Booz Allen. Betsy, great to see you here in person at the RSA conference.
3: Likewise, Dave. This is really fun.
1: Uh, we have a specific topic we want to touch on here today, um, and that is critical infrastructure and, and resilience. I know something that's you, some, that is something that you and your colleagues have been focused on lately. What can you share with us here?
3: Yeah, so the the theme of this year's RSA conference has been Stronger Together, and if I've heard one thing throughout all these panels, it's this theme of understanding how to be resilient, and cyber resiliency, uh, among others with partnerships, um, has very much played out in in a lot of the panels and discussions that I have observed and and, uh, my colleagues and I are having here at RSA.
1: So when we're talking about resilience when it comes to critical infrastructure, I mean, there's there's a lot of players that that notion touches.
3: Yeah, yeah. So... Um I think in the past we've we've really focused on cyber defense, um, and that's certainly the field that I work in. Um, but this the theme of cyber resili- resiliency is really the sense of um, being able to withstand and re- recover from a cyber attack um, or incident, and the acknowledgement of the fact that you will be attacked, um, you've likely been compromised, or or will be compromised is really at the core of anticipating how you do withstand an attack um, and recover. Um, also, zero trust plays into this. You and I have talked a lot about zero trust in the past and already. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is really the lens through which I've attended these sessions, listened and observed, and and really focused on critical infrastructure resiliency too.
1: And, and what are you seeing this year at the conference in terms of uh, the attention that this topic is receiving?
3: I have to start with Ukraine. Uh, some of the discussions with um, our, our Ukrainian counterparts who are here, um, talking about their roles as they are going through an ongoing conflict with Russia, um, and and how the speakers, whether it's across the U.S. government, private industry, vendors, how they're talking about holding holding up Ukraine as a model of cyber re- resiliency, um, and. It, and really taking those lessons and working to maintain the operability of Ukraine's inf- infrastructure in the, the, the day-to-day war. But also, you know, where, when it comes to U.S. and what we're anticipating with our adversaries, what are we going to learn and, and continue to uphold that example of, of Ukraine as a model?
1: And, and what are some of the specific things that are being discussed when it comes to that?
3: Yeah, so um, we heard that the Ukrainian um, lessons in resilience made their way into the national cybersecurity strategy. Mm. Um, there was a lot of time to consider what was going going on in Ukraine. They've it's been under attack since at least 2014, um, when the annexation of Crimea occurred, um, if not longer before that. Um, and it's really been a testing ground for cyber capabilities. Um, so taking the lessons of how the Russians turn their tools on Ukraine and, and and often before unleashing them on the U.S. And let's talk about, like, how APT28 has affected us and our election infrastructure. So, um, you know, taking those lessons learned, and it, it's very interesting that the, that made it into our own national cybersecurity strategy. Hmm. Also, we're seeing from Ukraine the private industry and U.S. government and partner support in the cybersecurity space was a psychological game changer for Ukraine to kind of sustain, um, understand that they're supported by the international community and really buoyed its ability to react to both kinetic and cyber attacks um, on the Ukrainian power grid, for example. They were able to understand and anticipate a kinetic attack because they saw the uh, their telecoms infrastructure uh, under a cyber attack the day before a mm-hmm. uh, TV tower went down um, in in a physical attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so moving beyond what's going on in Ukraine, I mean, how does that inform how we approach these things here stateside?
3: Yeah. So if we're looking at resiliency and um, using that as, a, as an example, but also our day-to-day, um, you know, as our, our own uplift and enhancements occur across our own cybersecurity organizations, private industry, Um, trust and communication has been a theme. Not surprising, but um, that's really, you know, building the trust, maintaining the trust. Uh, We saw private companies reaching out to the Ukrainian government. How can we help you um, with our data, with our cybersecurity tools? Um, The FBI reaching out to companies and calling in requests to help Ukraine. Um, informing U.S. companies if they were unknowingly supporting Russian activities via their infrastructure.
1: Hmm. So as we look forward uh, toward the horizon, where do you suppose we're headed here?
3: More immediately, and another kind of geopolitical view on this that's kind of on everybody's minds, is this really positions the U.S. to consider the range of potential attacks um, that might result from a China-Taiwan scenario. Hmm. Um, and so... You know what can we pay attention to with how Ukraine has shown its resiliency, but also let's be aware China is paying attention to U.S. reactions to Russia and how um, our assistance is playing out in this, in cyberspace. So it's very encouraging and knowing that our you know larger partnership across again public, private, government, industry, they're all watching this as well and taking the notes. To see what could happen, probably in a in a China Taiwan scenario as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. As they say, interesting times, right? Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: and there there are a couple of other interesting pieces that have come out of the cybersecurity strategy, the national cybersecurity strategy, but really enabling organizations to figure out how tactically they're going to shift their day to day organization uh, operations. Um, and in the longer view for their strategic thinking, themes like uh, secure by design, secure by default, holding the industry accountable um, for taking the burden off the victim for the attack and attack outcomes. We know that the, the U.S. is looking into um, legislation right now with mandatory reporting for breach notification. Mm. Um, we heard uh, the encouragement for um, the open comments on that. That legislation and that document right now coming out from CISA, the information that comes from victims informs the threat, and the result of those investigations then informs cyber operations. So, partnership and encouraging victims to come forward is really at the core of that, you know, that trust and communication, and that's really what builds resilience. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, Betsy Carmelite, uh, interesting insights as always. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks, Dave. Great to be here in person with you.
1: Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers... That's vanta.com/slash cyber.
0: And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa Smart Speaker too. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Datatribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terriot, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jen Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and Dave Bittner. I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening.